Can you dig it? I'll tell you what, uh, I almost did a little bit of dancing up here because Father's Day, uh, fathers can dance. It's complete amnesty for dads who want to dance. <laughs> On Father's Day, you can't stop them, you can't criticize them. They, they just get to do it. So uh, we're going to have fun with uh, Can You Dig It this morning. First of all, a shout out to all of those of you who are fathers, all of those uh, who are dads, right? I'll tell you what, it, uh, it has a starting line, but it has no finish line. And so wherever you are in the spectrum, you're a dad who needs what Anthony prayed for us today, wisdom and courage and strength at, at each point in being a dad. So... Um, Good job, and uh, keep going, and let us be a faith family to those of you who, who are dads and uh, need to connect with other men who are doing what you're doing. So I'm excited for uh, what we've been able to do already, being been able to worship God. It's one of the reasons we come on a Sunday morning, we come to give God worship and praise. I appreciate Bryce and leading us in just a really meaningful time of connection with God. And, and the other reason we come, or one other reason that we come, not just to give God worship and praise, but to get equipped through the teaching of His Word, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning. I didn't put on my mic, did I? I just, I told, totally, yep, thanks Mark. I heard you working on that. Give me just a minute. Okay, let's try that again. All right, thanks. Yeah, I... Uh, was engaged in Bryson leading worship. I guess that's a good excuse, but uh, really great to have him. He'll be with us this summer. So this morning, we're going to start another installment in this series, Can You Dig It? Can You Dig It is part of our Summer of Love here at Trinity, and uh, as, as a part of the Summer of Love, we're going to be investing, we're going to be digging into uh, some of the primary affirmations of a Jesus follower. We're going to dig into these doctrines, or you might call it theology. We're going to be digging into one topic every Sunday. I'm going to be sharing this responsibility with Chris, Pastor Chris, with Josh Wheatley, and with Glenn Matlock. We're all going to be tag-teaming doctrine each Sunday and looking at core affirmations of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And we want to do that because we want to be clear, strong-minded, biblically literate Jesus followers. If you want to survive and thrive as a follower of Jesus in this culture, you really need a strong grounding in bedrock truth. Uh, we want to, uh, we, we've said a couple weeks ago, we want to keep the faith baby, not the baby faith. And so that's what this summer is about. Uh, can you dig it? Digging into these truths that are bedrock truths for our faith. 2017 is not just the the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love, it's the 500th anniversary of something called the Reformation, when a man named Martin Luther decided that certain truths were important enough to divide over. And those are some of the truths that we're going to be discussing this summer. These are truths that are important enough to divide over. And it's my turn this Sunday, and I either got the long straw or the short straw, I'm not sure... Because it's my job this morning to explain God to you. That's my job in the next 30 minutes or so, to explain God to you. And if you think that's an impossible task, uh, impossible task, and there's no way that any uh, finite mind, especially Brad's, could ever explain God to you, and you expect me to fail in this task, then we're at least we're on the same page. Because... 
uh, in a few minutes, when I fail to explain God to you, I won't be embarrassed and you won't be disappointed. You will only, the only person who will be disappointed this morning is the person who thinks that you ought to be able to fully understand the infinite creator of the universe. If you think by the time you leave this morning you have the entitlement to fully comprehend this being, then you might be disappointed. Especially because we're going to take on one of the most challenging aspects of our God's nature. We're going to be talking about God the Trinity this morning. His, God's triune existence. Now, Trinity means three and one. Trinity, triunity. So, we're talking about God, His quality of being three and one. And He is, God exists as one God, but three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is all three of these persons, but only one being. And, technicality, He doesn't morph from one of these to the other. He's not a transformer. Sometimes he's God, uh, the Father, and sometimes he's the Son, and sometimes he's the Spirit. No, he is all three of these at the same time. Now already, I've lost you. I've lost you for two reasons. One is because you're not sure it makes any sense. And the second reason I've lost you is because you're not sure it makes any difference. You're like... All these technicalities, you know, and all that. I'm just not sure. I, I, you, know, you think that this is just some fine point of theology that, that some people with too much time on their hands like to parse out. And you're not really sure that it makes that big of a difference. Well, this morning I want you to see that it does matter. It matters a lot because it matters if you want a meaningful relationship with God. If all you want is salvation, uh, if all you want is salvation... Then, then it doesn't matter, and you have other problems, if that's all you want out of your relationship with God. But if you want a relationship with God, and you want to engage with God in a meaningful way as you live this life, then you need to understand this aspect of God's nature, that He is three and one. And I'll tell you why this truth matters. This truth matters because relationships matter. A relationship is based on knowing someone as a person. That's what a relationship is. If, if you're married to someone and all they are to you is a function, all they are to you is the person who brings home the paycheck or the person who makes your food, cooks your food, or cleans your house, or cuts your grass, and that's all that person is to you, then you really don't have a relationship. You have a sugar daddy, or a cook, or a maid, or a lawn boy, but you don't have a relationship with your spouse. If, you don't, if they are just a function to you, then you don't have a relationship. But it, it's when you know their personality and their likes and their dislikes and, and what they're thinking and feeling at a certain time. That's what a relationship is about. Any stranger could come in and fulfill various functions in your house. But you want more than that. You want a relationship with this person. It's, it's, see, a relationship is based on mutuality. A relationship is based on knowledge of another person and uh, appreciation of their personality and their gifts. And there's interaction. There is 
intimacy and self-disclosure and there's this mutuality. And if you want to have that kind of relationship with God, mutuality, interaction, intimacy, then you will want to know that God is three persons, but only one being. That God is triune. He is three and one. This truth matters because relationships matter. And understanding the Trinity will fuel your relationship with God. It will fuel your relationship with God, and it will even inform your relationship with other people. Now, we're going to spend 95% of our time on this first idea that, that God as a Trinity fuels our relation. Understanding that truth will fuel our relationship with Him. They're going to devote just a little bit of time to talking about how it will fuel, it will inform our relationships with other people. But that's, that's what we're going to explore this morning, how, how this truth impacts us. And, and first, here's kind of the roadmap. First, we're going to restate the definition and talk about what it means that God is Trinity. Then we're going to go to our Bibles and see how it works. And then we're going to look at our lives and see how it matters. So that's the roadmap, what it looks like, how it works, and why it matters. So here we go. God is Trinity. What does that mean? It means that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That he is all three of these persons, but he is only one being. And, as we mentioned, he doesn't morph from one of these to the other. He's not a transformer, sometimes father, sometimes son, sometimes spirit, depending on the need of the moment. No, he is all of these at the same time. Another fine point, he is not, each, each of these persons is not one-third God. And you need all three of these added together to equal God. No, each of these persons is fully God. So it's not like you need red and blue and green to make white. You need Father, Son, and Spirit to make God. No, Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. They are all fully God. Each of these three persons of the Trinity. But they are only one being. So you can think of it like this. There are three who's, but only one what. And if you say, that sounds like nonsense. I mean, that just sounds illogical to me. You need to remember that there's a difference between something being incomprehensible and being incoherent. It's not that this truth is incoherent. It's not that it doesn't, that it is illogical and self-contradicting. No, it's not that it's incoherent. It's just incomprehensible. And that's what it, that's, Part of living in this world, certain things are just incomprehensible. Physicists have this kind of a struggle when they uh, explain light and they study the properties of light. Because a physicist knows that sometimes light acts like a wave and has the properties of a wave. And sometimes light acts like a particle and has the properties of a particle. And that sounds a little incomprehensible. I mean, that sounds a little incoherent, but the data, the data demonstrates that this is true. And not only that, actually light can act like a a wave and a particle at the same time. Now, is that incoherent? No, the data supports it. Is it incomprehensible? Well, it is by me. I don't know about you. And I don't know if there's a physicist who actually understands it or is just able to describe it. So this morning, we kind of have a parallel when we talk about God as Trinity, three in one. Is it incoherent? No, it's what the data shows in the Bible. 
Is it incomprehensible? Yeah, it's pretty hard to understand. C.S. Lewis uses this idea, the idea of three different dimensions in, in describing that, that God is complex and he's harder to understand than we can get our heads around. And he uses this illustration. He talks about a simple line. You can have a simple line and everybody understands a line, what a line is and what it does. It's simple. We can get our heads around it. But you can take that same line and you can just add to it and all of a sudden you have a square. You've kind of changed its dimensionality. And I wonder if a line understands a square. And then you can add a couple more lines, and all of a sudden you get this new dimensionality, this thing that's called a cube. And that's a lot. It's just lines, but it's lines put together in such a way that there's dimensionality to it. And, and I wonder what a stick fi- if a stick figure really understands a cube. You know, a stick figure who lives in just two dimensions looks at this cube and can't understand how something can exist in a third dimension. Well, that's kind of what it is for you and me to try to understand what God is like. We're just stick people trying to understand this dimension to God that escapes our, our experience. And so it is that, that God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one being, God eludes our ability to understand Him. And does that surprise you? Does it really surprise you that the God who was and is and will be, that the God who, the infinite being, who brought everything into existence, does it really surprise you that you can't describe Him down to the fine points and and fully comprehend them? It shouldn't. This truth, no one would have come up with this truth. No one would have imagined it. It's beyond our ability to imagine, but it's woven into the pages of our Bible. Now, it's never explicitly stated. Don't let someone, don't let someone destroy your faith by saying, hey, did you know the word Trinity's never even in the Bible? I'll go ahead and tell you that. And you can say, well, yeah, my pastor told me that. All right? The word Trinity is nowhere in your Bible. The concept of the Trinity is overtly present. And as you put together these different truths that God reveals about Himself in the Bible, you come up, you you can't avoid coming up with this conclusion, this amazing complex picture of a God who is one, but three persons. One being three persons. And this is an important thing to understand about God because it's one of the distinctives of the Christian faith. It's one of the things that makes Christianity different from a lot of other faiths. This understanding of God as Trinity. It's one of the reasons that we say that Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. Some people like to say, well, they worship the same God. It's the God of Abraham, you know, and so it's the same God, Allah, and, and God, same thing. Well, not really. Not really. Because... The God that we worship is a trinity. He's three beings, three, three persons, one being. The, the God that Muslims worship is not a trinity. They'd be the first to tell you that. So it's a distinctive of the Christian faith. It's a unique feature of Christianity. And you may have never thought about it before, but you have you have already experienced God as a trinity. 
If you're a Jesus follower, you may not know it, but if you have a point in your life where you look to Jesus as the one God sent, then you have already experienced the three persons of the Trinity. You just may not know it. But your relationship with God would be stronger if you did know it. And, and the big idea this morning is, is really this. The more aware you are of the Trinity, the more meaningfully you'll be able to engage with God. So if you've already experienced the Trinity, we should kind of we should talk about that so that you can become more aware of God as Trinity and as a result more meaningfully engage with Him. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to explore this idea in this passage. Now, there are other places that you could go in your New Testament, and even really Old Testament, where you could go to explore this truth, where you could see all three persons of the Godhead functioning together. You could see that in Jesus' baptism, where the scene is described, uh, Jesus in the water being baptized by John, and then a booming voice from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, and then a the, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And so you have in one scene, Father, Son, and Spirit. Or you could go to Jesus, commanding His followers to go and make disciples, baptizing, t- teaching them to obey everything, and baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can go to numerous places in Jesus' teachings, Paul's teachings, and see the presence of these three persons. But we're going to Ephesians chapter 1, to see the presence of these three persons. And one of the reasons we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1 is because we also can gain from this particular passage some insights that will help us relate to God as Trinity. So we're going to read this in a minute. We're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to read all the way through verse 14. And as we read, I want you to know a couple things about it. I want you to know, first of all, that in Greek, this is one long sentence. Longest sentence in the New Testament. Chapter, uh, verse 3 through verse 14. One big, long, majestic, 202-word sentence. Now, our English translations have broken it up. They've even put it in a couple paragraphs for us. But it's really one long sentence. And it's describing what God does for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. It describes God's work of salvation. And as we read this beautiful passage about God's work of salvation, I want you to see if you can find the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ." Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, 
who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of, uh, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now, imagine that as one sentence. <laughs> it's exhausting to think about. Uh, but it, it's this passage full of important truths. We've studied this passage in detail on, on various occasions as a church. But this morning, I want to make three big observations. And the first of those is uh, just simply the fact that this is one big, long, wondrous description of God's saving work in the world. And Paul, describing what God has done for us in saving us, once he gets started, he can't stop. He just keeps going and going. That God chose us in him before the creation of the world. And he's adopted us into his family. And he has made us holy and blameless in his sight. And he's redeemed us and forgiven us and lavished his grace on us. So it's this celebration of God's great work in the world and in the life of every person who puts their trust in Jesus. So that's the first thing to know. This is a description of God's amazing saving work in our lives. Second thing to know, uh, is that there is one God in this passage, but there are three persons. You can see You can see in this passage at the beginning, praise be to the God and Father, one, of our Lord Jesus Christ, two. And at the very end of the passage, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. So you've got these Three persons, they're all involved in this big sentence. They're all involved in the work of your salvation. Three persons. All three of them have unique names, unique identities, and they all three are functioning to accomplish your salvation. A third thing to notice is that each of these persons have distinct roles. They have unique roles. And this passage is one of the places where we get to see these unique roles being played out, where each person of the Trinity is accomplishing something. And this is where we're going to slow down a little bit. First, you've got the Father in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and He's the subject of the first few verses here. And He's the one who does the heavy lifting in the work of our salvation. He's the one, it says here, who's, who's initiated this process. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the, in the heavenly realms. He chose us before the creation of the world. He predestined us. He adopted us as His sons. He uh, has uh, lab, freely given His grace to us. This is the work of God the Father. He's the one who's orchestrating this overall work of salvation. This is the work of God, the first person of the Trinity. But look at how he accomplishes this work. He does it all through the Son. He does it all through the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity who is always 
existed as the Son. He's always been the Son. But there was a point in history when the Son became a human being, born as a baby, and given the name Jesus. And when the Son, always existing in eternity as the Son, became Jesus, the human being, He came into this world as a person. We spent a lot of time this year in Philippians chapter 2, that beautiful passage that says, Jesus emptied emptied himself, who being in existence as God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. Remember that passage? We looked at it a lot for different reasons this last year. He emptied himself and was made in appearance as a man. And ultimately, uh, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross, Philippians 2 says. And we even see a hint of that here, that this second person of the Trinity died in our place. We have the phrase in verse 7 uh, that we have forgiveness of sins. Uh, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Through whose blood? The blood of the second person of the Trinity who existed in eternity as the Son and became a human being named Jesus, crucified on a cross the second person of the Trinity, but raised again. And it is through him, through this death and resurrection, that we have all these benefits that the Father gives us. It's through the work of the Son. Ten times in these verses, you have the phrase, in him, in Christ. Every time in him appears, that's talking about Jesus. It's in Him. Let's just take a look at some of these. Uh, our every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us, that's the Father, chose us in Him. That's the Son, in Jesus. Uh, freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus we're talking about. Uh, ten times, the next, uh, the next set of uh, verses. In Him we're chosen. We're, uh, you know, it's in Christ, in Him, in Him. It's on the basis of what Jesus accomplished, the second person of the Trinity. It's on the basis of what Jesus accomplished that God the Father is able to give us all these spiritual blessings. And then, in verse 13, you get to the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him, Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now, another translation says, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance. So now we've got this third person of the Trinity involved in our salvation who at the moment you turn to Jesus and believe in him as the one God sent, the moment you make that life decision to look to Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, at that moment God indwells you and he seals you. That, that metaphor, it's a metaphor meant to describe God's, the Spirit's indwelling presence in your life. It's like a seal. That's the Spirit's presence in your life. And that's a reference to how they would seal letters in Paul's day. They would take wax, they'd take a scroll, they'd roll it up, they'd take wax, put it on the, put it on the 
loose, loose end of the scroll, and they would stamp an insignia on it. They would put someone's initials or monogram, and that monogram, that seal is basically, here's who sealed this letter. You open this letter unauthorized, and you're going to have this person to deal with. That's what it meant. Well, that's a picture of God's Spirit coming to live in us as our protector, as the guarantee of our inheritance. Anyone who wants to mess with that has to go through the one who put the seal there. That's God the Father. And the Holy Spirit is, He indwells us the minute we turn to Jesus. He indwells us. He lives in us. And He is a sign of God's ownership and protection in our lives. He's a guarantee that the salvation that God promised, He's actually going to carry out. So here we have God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what all this means is that if you have made the decision, the life decision, to look to Jesus as the one God sent, if you have done that, you've already experienced the Trinity. You've already experienced Father, Son, and Spirit engaged and working in your life. You have experienced the harmonious teamwork of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, as they lavish together, they work together in a coordinated way to lavish their eternal love on you and to work out their plan for your rescue. So the Father chose you and the Son died for you and the Spirit sealed the deal. The Father wanted to adopt you as a father. The Son paid the price and the Spirit formalized the transaction. The triune God loves you and has worked together harmoniously in unfathomable ways to accomplish your salvation. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? That's what God has done for us. So, you've already experienced the three-in-oneness of God at work in your life. Okay, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but so what? I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that God has done this. took all three persons of the Trinity to, to save me. But, like, how does it make a difference from here on out? You know, I don't really know what to do with this. Well, remember, the more aware you are, the more aware you are of the Trinity of God's existence as Father, Son, and Spirit, the more meaningfully you can engage with Him. The more you know who's accomplished what parts of your salvation, the more you know who to be thankful for what, and the better sense you have of how God will continue to interact with you as you live your life. And as you learn more about the Trinity and the different functions of Father, Son, and Spirit, the more meaningfully you're able to engage with God. The more aware you are of the Trinity, the more meaningfully you can engage with Him. And I want to give you just one example. This is the, okay, let's look at our lives. What difference does it make? Prayer is just one example of a way that your engagement with God will be different when you understand He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Knowledge of the Trinity will affect how you pray. If you have your Bible still open, just turn it over one chapter to chapter 2. And look at verse 18, where it says this. 
verse 18. Through Him, we're talking about Jesus, the context here, talking about Jesus. So, through Him, we have, we, we both, that's Jews and Gentiles, through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Here in this one passage, we have this explanation of how it is that we are able to pray. We have access to God the Father through the work of Jesus. So the Father is the one we pray to. Through the work of Jesus is why we say, in Jesus' name we pray. And we pray by the Spirit. That's through the help that the Spirit gives us when we pray. And this is the default way to pray, with an awareness of the Trinity. When we pray, we should be aware of the Trinity. And we should follow this default way to pray. Now, this is not the only way to pray, but this is the default way to pray. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can sometimes address prayer to Jesus. You can sometimes address prayer to the Holy Spirit. But the the default way to pray, the normal pattern, ought to be praying to the Father. Now, you can use this new awareness of God's triune existence to help you when you pray. So what you'll do is you'll pray, first of all, to the Father. And when you do, call Him Father. I've become aware in studying and preparing for this message the last few weeks that I often just pray to God. I address God as God. And there isn't anything wrong with that. It's okay. But I'm not sure that it's always the best way to talk to God. I'm not sure that it's really praying with that full awareness of the Trinity just to pray to God. And I'm trying to change that. I want to grow in that area, kind of get out of that habit. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? And I'll tell you what I tell my kids when they joke around with me. So sometimes my kids mess around with me. And they call me Brad, all right? (laughs) Or they call me Dude. Hey, dude. Or when they're feeling really funny, they'll call me Pastor Brad. It's hilarious. Okay? Hilarious. And it doesn't really bother me. But you know what I'll tell them? I'll joke around with them and I'll say, you know what? Anyone in the world can call me Brad. That's my name to them. And there are a bunch of people who can call me Pastor Brad. But there's only a handful of people. It's a big handful, but... Uh, there's only a handful of people who can call me dad. You're part of a select group who can call me dad. You probably ought to think about that. <laughs> and that's what I tell them. And I leave it there. And you know what? It's the same thing with God. Anyone can call on God, anyone in the world. But not everyone gets to call on God as their father. Who is in heaven? We do. So we should. We should call on our Father. Great thought for Father's Day. So we pray to the Father, who's our Father, and feels fatherly towards us and adopted us into his family. And we pray through Jesus. 
That is, we pray on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's how we have access to God. We would not have access to God in any, for any other reason. But it's through Jesus, what He's done for us. So that's why we use the words, in Jesus' name we pray. Now sometimes, in Jesus' name we pray, it's just meant to signal, I'm finished. Okay? Sometimes we use it as a throwaway sentence at the end of a prayer. And we should be really careful about that because it's not a throwaway sentence. It's filled with meaning. It's basically saying, we know God, we know Father, that this is the only way that we can talk to you through Jesus. Otherwise, we would not be able to call on you at all. So we use those words at the end of a prayer. We need to not use them as a throwaway. Teach our kids not to use that as a throwaway, just not in conclusion. You know, that's not what it means. We can use it at the end of the... We can start our prayer. We can begin our prayer with, it's in Jesus' name that we come to you. And you don't even have to use those. You can use it at the beginning of the end. You, could, you don't even have to use the words in Jesus' name. We pray. It's not a magic formula. But you always need to be aware. You always need to be conscious of the fact that it's only on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's only because you are in Christ that you get to talk to God as your Father. And then you pray through the Spirit, through the, with the help of the Holy Spirit, because there are times you don't even have the words to tell God how you feel. And, and many times you don't have the wisdom to tell God what He ought to do about it, even though you think sometimes, we think, we do. You know, here's how I want you to, here's how I want you to handle this. No, we pray through the help of the Holy Spirit. It says, here's my issue, and here's what I need, and, and you know what I need better than I do, so I'm just going to entrust this to you. And that's the help that the Spirit gives us as we pray. See how just knowing that God is three persons and how those persons function helps you relate to God in a more meaningful way? The Trinity matters because relationships Matter, And when we understand the Trinity better, we can love God more. We know who to thank for what. And we know how to pray for things. We know how to interact with a God who is more than we can understand, but is still someone we can have a relationship with. Like Bryson said this morning, God, it's hard. we can't understand God, but we can still worship Him. And the more aware you are of the Trinity, the more meaningfully you can engage with God. It fuels our relationship with God. Give me two sentences just to plant a seed of an idea on how it also informs our relationships with people. Because the Trinity matters because relationships with people matter. And God, uh, God sets the pattern for our relationships. Think about this. God has existed in, eternal, in, in relationship with other persons since eternity. See, God is not just one isolated being. God is not just two, an, an exclusive couple. God is three. He's a community. And He has existed in community for eternity. And He's existed in community with s- submissive love for the other persons in the Trinity. And he's existed as unity in diversity. And it's just a beautiful picture that someday we could talk about how the Trinity should inform our relationships as well. 
The better we understand, the more aware we are of the Trinity, the more meaningfully we can engage with God. So I've accomplished my mission this morning. I have failed to explain God to you. But in failing to explain God to you, I hope that I have helped you see Him better. As a beautiful, complex, incomprehensible, three-in-one, infinite being who loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. And now that you are more aware of that, I hope you will more meaningfully engage with Him, even this week, and start with how you pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like not even sure you have that initial relationship with God, that initial turning to Jesus and looking to Him as the one God sent and receiving forgiveness and adoption. I just want to say to you, we'd love to help you take that step this morning. The most important thing we teach is you can be in relationship with God. You can have your sins forgiven and be in relationship with God now and for eternity, not through cleaning up your life, not through jumping through a bunch of church ritual, but just by believing that Jesus is the one God sent. If you don't know how to do that, we'd love to help you take that step. Let's take a minute and exercise our privilege this morning of talking to our Heavenly Father. Father, we come to you through the name of the Lord Jesus, who died in our place and rose again. And we are thankfully in him because of the work that you've done. And we come to you through the help of your Spirit. Expressing to you how much we love you and how much more we want to love you. And that even though we don't fully understand you, we want to worship you in all your beauty and complexity, in all your infinite love. We know that you're the one who was and is and will be. We don't even understand that. But we know that you love us. And we want to love you back. We want to love you more. We want to love people more because of who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, please continue to grow us in our ability, not even necessarily to understand this beyond what you want us to understand, but mainly to just respond to it in engaging with you as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that you'll teach us how to do that, how to walk with you, how to live lives that please you as a result of all that you've done for us. And we do ask this through the one who died and rose again, the one that you sent. We know his name is Jesus. Amen.